Hello and welcome to the Territory Story podcast. I'm Peter Gowers. This week on the podcast is part two of the Dave Tolner Territory Story. Last week we learned how Dave grew up around Billawilla in Queensland and moved to the NT when he was offered a chance to play basketball in Darwin and get paid for it. We also learned that he was motivated to get into politics when the Howard government changed the gun laws in Australia. We learned how he became the federal member of Solomon and then how he lost that seat. We discussed that at the end of part one. Dave then took some time away from politics before entering the fray yet again at the NT election. He then became the NT Deputy Chief Minister and Northern Territory Treasurer in the one-term Giles government, which was elected in 2012. Let's hear from Dave again now in part two of the Dave Tolner Territory Story. This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. And so okay, it was finally determined. And so what did you do between that and territory politics for that year? Uh, I had a couple of little gigs here and there. Yeah. Um, I was working with a tourism operator trying to get a bit of new product going and, and whatnot. But it really wasn't that long. It was less than, well, it was about eight months, less than a year. Right. Um, it was quite fortuitous then. Time well, and there'd been the... Like, ever since I looked, as soon as I lost that seat, yeah. everybody was at me, you know, get into the territory politics. And the idea was, you know, Claire Martin had been rolled and people were pushing me saying, look, there's going to be a by-election in Fanny Bay. But, of course, Claire didn't call a by-election. She just didn't, turn, didn't bother turning up to Parliament. So, yeah, just sat out the rest of the term. But uh, they were desperate to get me, and that was what they had four members in. Yeah, Terry, you know, Terry um, Richard Lim. Richard Lim, uh, gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And uh, the lady in Alice Springs? Yeah, Jodine and uh, what's her name? From Catherine. Catherine. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah. And so, you, <laughs> so they convinced you to run? Yeah. Uh, well, Terry, Terry was desperate to get me up here to lead the party, you see. Right. And... Um, and then he rolled Jodine. Party room coon. And then, and then we went to the uh, then then we went to the two thousand and eight election with him as the leader. Right. And uh, yeah, it was only very shortly after that that I had real big question marks about Terry and the direction he was taking. So what happened? Did they win in 2008? I can't remember. No, no, we won a whole heap of seats. We won eight seats or something like that. Right, right. Um, Not quite enough. Not quite enough, no. And and then you had question marks about Terry. Oh, yeah, it all went sort of... Well, the first thing we had was the uh, global financial crisis. Yeah, yeah. You know, Rudd had his stimulus package where he sent a nine hundred dollar checks to dead people and all yeah. that sort of nonsense, and yeah. doing the the, the peak bats crap and whatnot. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd always sort of had a pretty key role in policy and all of that sort of stuff. And Terry called me into the office. He had his chief of staff there. I said, "Listen, we're going to support Kevin Rudd's stimulus package." I said, what? I said, you've got to be joking. They <laughs> said, no, 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 no. We've got to, this is good politics. We've got to get out and support this. 
It's a good politics. I said, you can't be joking. I said, it's a disgrace. I said, you know, this chief of staff that looked at me and he said, what are you? He said, you seriously going to go out there in the northern suburbs and tell all those people that they don't deserve a $900 check? And I said, yeah, of course I am. And he looked at me and he says, that's just suicidal. He said, mate, you're an idiot. He said, why would you do that? And I looked at him and I said, mate, I said, I don't really care about right now. I said, we've only been elected for, you know, a month or two. I said, it's four years time when we got to worry about being re-elected. And I said, you've got to ask yourself the question, what are people going to be thinking in four years time? I said, do you honestly think that in four years time, people are going to be going, oh, thank God Terry Mills supported Kevin Rudd and got us that check for $900 four years ago. Or do you think they might be sitting there going, holy shit, where did all this debt come from? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm betting on the ladder. I said, the only question you've got to ask yourself, I said, is do you want to be consistent? Or do you just want to blow with the breeze, whatever political wind blows you anywhere you like? And uh, so that was the first ball I had with him. The next one was on our on our friggin' green environmental policy. We had to outgreen the greens as far as carbon <laughs> emission reductions and that sort of stuff, and it was just crazy shit. And again, he got his chief of staff there, and I said, "Why are we doing this?" And he said, "Oh, look, it's." He says, "You don't understand." He said, "This is about the swinging voter." I said, what about the swinging voter? <laughs> he says, well, our, our research shows that all the, singing, all the swinging voters want us to do more on climate change. I said, well, that's freaking horseshit. I said, if you want to do something on climate change, all for that. I said, but I can't understand why you have to sit there and, and kill the economy. Oh, he says, we're not going to do that. He said, we're just saying this. And, like, you know, people say that to me and I just sit there and look and I think, you know, again, it just shows a lack of consistency, a lack of ethics when you sit there and you'll say anything in order to try and win some sort of, uh, you know, anyhow. But th that's where I had major fallings out. And, and you know, Terry was always wishy-washy, you know, completely wishy-washy, and you never get anything out of him. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but let me ask you about a few things. Going back to the, um, the, the GFC, right, uh, there was a, the Four Corners program, uh, I don't know, yeah. a few years ago that looked at the GFC and they interviewed the, oh, I forget the name of the Reserve Bank, uh, uh, Bernie Fraser. Not Bernie Fraser, there was another guy, I don't know, I uh, might be getting some people mixed up here. He, he was, he became a director of, of NAB. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the guy, uh, James, Jim Strong, was it? James Strong. Uh, uh, anyway. Anyway. Uh, so this guy, uh, they interviewed him, and he said that he thought that Kevin Rudd had averted the GFC for Australia <laughs> with with this uh, with this, yeah. this this policy. And you don't you don't reckon? You don't no. Reckon? So you reckon we, no, we all averted right? it? We we averted it because of the strong one. We, we, a couple of reasons. One is we had a very strong banking system, and we had a, a big reserving policy yeah. already in existence. So the problem with the US, they had no reserves at all. They had nothing that they could fall back on. Um, and we weren't exposed in the same manner that we, that those other uh, countries were to the low-doc, no-doc mortgages and all of that sort of stuff to the same extent. But the other thing we had was China. Yeah. 
And China was buying minerals and, and oil and gas and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and they were largely unaffected by the, the GFC. You know, and when you have a look, I mean, the, the classic one is a bloke called John Key yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah. Now, now yeah. John Key got elected uh, just before the global financial crisis. He took over from Helen Clark. Yeah. Right? And, and, and uh, New Zealand was a financial basket case when he took over. And then the GFC hit. Right? And John Key swam in exactly the opposite direction that almost every other leader in the world. He said when the GFC hit, he said, right, he said, one thing that we won't be doing is, he said, we won't be providing any stimulus, financial stimulus, he said, because frankly, New Zealand's broken, we've got nothing to spend anyhow. Uh, so we won't be doing that. He said, our response will be twofold. One, we're going to sack public servants. Um, and uh, we're going to streamline the public service, make it much more efficient, that sort of stuff, because it's too bloated at the moment and nothing works. Mm. And secondly is we're going to fix our industrial relations system. So he introduced work choices just when we were scrubbing it, because the 2007 was the work choices election, remember, mm -hmm. and we, we could not handle it in Australia. There's no way. Mm. Well, he introduced it in... New Zealand as a response, they didn't call it work choices, by the way, they mm. called it something else, but it was exactly, it was a mirror image of work choices. And he introduced that into New Zealand. He said, well, you know, we need to create flexibility in the workplace, you know, if, if our businesses are going to survive. And then he went around the world starting to sell New Zealand. Mm. And um, it's interesting now, when you look, when you've got the benefit of hindsight, to sit there and see where the respective countries are uh, now as to where they were in, before the GFC. So before the GFC, Australia had money in the bank, we had surplus budgets, uh, and we had no debt. Right? Uh, then we have the GFC, and then Kevin Rudd goes nuts and starts throwing money around like a drunken sailor. Right? Ever since then, we've had a debt problem, and now is the very first budget since the GFC that we've actually managed to get a surplus. Right? We're actually paying our own way. Right? Right. We're not just putting it on the credit card for down the track. So it's taken 10 years, right. you know, to even get a surplus from Kevin Rudd's mad spending thing. Right. Have a look at New Zealand where they were 10 years ago. Like I say, at the bottom of the economic pile, Cactus is a country, and you have a look at them now on the world's cup. They are absolutely punching above their weight. They're one of the strongest economies in the world. And you can put it all down to John Key and the reforms that he made in relation to the GFC. And all of those countries that didn't go and sell the farm, that didn't go throwing money around like crazy, mm. they're all in a far better position now mm. than they were in respect to every other country that did. All right, well, let's fast forward a little bit. So that election, 2008 election, CLP lost. So you, you hung around as a, as a you, you would have been shadow minister for something, surely. Right? Oh, I'm shadow minister practically everything. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I had a bit of a meltdown with Terry. And, and, no, but that, uh, was not, that, that wasn't before he won the election, though, was it? Yes, it was. You but, had the meltdown before? Oh, yes. Oh, you oh no, this is in 2008, so we're in yeah. opposition. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah, yeah. So, so I challenged him in opposition, right. and I don't... Had no real desire to challenge him, but I just didn't want him in the job. Right. 
because as far as I was concerned, he was leading us down the garden path. Right. Um, and, you know, that sort of got... But when I challenged the course, then I got put onto the back bench. Right, right. So I was on the back bench in the Territory Parliament in right. opposition. In opposition. <laughs> that would have been, been pretty boring for you. Well, they called me the loneliest politician in Australia. You know, Australia's smallest parliament, smallest number of people, <laughs> and the only backbencher in opposition. <laughs> you, you would have had a lot of game apps on your phone then, oh, Dave. I'm the loneliest politician in Australia. What would you say, Pete? You would have had a lot of game apps on your phone then, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I, I got to say that little period of time for me was just golden because one thing about being in cabinet or shadow cabinet yeah. is that you're in a straitjacket. Like you can't, you can't talk about anything that's not your policy area. Right. right? And is that the rule, it. is it? Is that the rule? <clears throat> well, that's what cabinet solidarity is about. No cabinet minister will come out and talk about something that's not their responsibility. Okay. You step it on someone else's toes. So yeah. you sit down and go, no, 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 you can't direct that question to me. You've got to talk to the yeah. minister for such and such. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're on the back bench, mm. uh, unlike Labor, in the CLP, you can say whatever you like. Right. You know, so <laughs> I, would, I just had the... I was given, you know, as far as I was concerned, I was given a free reign. <laughs> and I just, thought, I just thought, gee, this is another example of Terry's lack of strategic thinking, you know. Like, why would you have a bloke like me running around saying anything I liked? Right. So, so Surely you'd pull him in into, the, into the shadow cabinet and say, uh, 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 you're not allowed to be talking about this and that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So you, you ran a muck. And, and I did run a muck, yeah. and I had a few wins. Like, um, you know, I got the parliament to write to the Speaker of the Federal Parliament saying that we, as a parliament, oppose the introduction of a carbon tax, right. Julia Gillard's carbon tax, which drove freaking, it was Jane Agard and Hendo at the time, drove them nuts, the fact that the parliament had voted overwhelmingly to write to the Federal Speaker to say we don't want to bar your carbon tax. How did you manage to do that if, if they were in power, if the Labor were in power? Well, it took a little bit of effort, but, you know, there was... Um, they were they had... They needed Jerry Wood. Right. Right? So I managed to convince oh, Jerry Wood. Right, right. Okay, so it was only one-seat majority. Yes. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Jerry did do something. Julia Christensen called it Dave Tolner's most amazing magic trick. How he managed to get from the back bench in opposition, got the parliament to write to the federal speaker. Right, right. So well, throughout all of this, um, and notwithstanding that you were you were running interference with Terry, uh, CLP still managed to win the uh, the 2012 election. Oh well, by that stage, you know, people just had a gutful of uh, of labour and. The big issues were the uh, Indigenous issues. Like, they'd made all these changes to the councils and that sort of stuff. Mm. And something that people don't seem to get here, mm. you know, we're in Darwin, we don't have much regard for local government, and I don't blame people, you know. Like, if you ask who your local member is of the Legislative Assembly, you know, half the population might be able to tell you, or a quarter or so. But if you sit there and say, oh, who's your local alderman? You're not going to get five percent of your elected mm. will tell you who the local <laughs> alderman is. Like they just don't know. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's probably more 
politicians running around Darwin from the Legislative Assembly than there is in council anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so people here have a greater affinity, I suppose, to what goes on in the yeah. in the wedding cake than they do in council chambers, yeah. you know. But the minute you step outside of Darwin and whatnot and you get further and further out into the bush, yeah. the only contact that those people have with the only level of government that they have yeah. is the local government. Yeah. It's not It's not the territory government. It's not so, you know, you start messing around with local government in bush areas mm. and people get really pissed off really quick. And Labor didn't see that. Right. And... Um, this is the amalgamation of councils and stuff. Well, yeah, yeah, super right. councils and that sort of stuff. And so we we ran a pretty slick sort of a campaign. I, we had a a task force. I'm, I pulled together a task force and sort of dragged Terry kicking and screaming into that. <laughs> but we wanted that we wanted the party to have a you know a, a voice because everything has to work in unison in the campaign. So the party's got to be working right. The branches have got to be working right. The um, uh, the elected members have all got to be going in the right direction. So it's quite a bit of coordination. You know? It's like herding cats in some yeah. regard. And yeah. you've got people with extraordinary egos in politics too. So that's another that's another thing that you've got to deal with. Yeah. So getting all that going in one direction is not easy. Mm. So you know, my view was that we – and because everybody was fighting everyone. Mm. So we had to pull everything internally and, you know, have a – a campaign task force that had representatives from the party, the opposition leader's office, the members, and whatnot. And I got myself a seat on there, of course, because... <laughs> um, and then I took on the responsibility of running the Bush Seats campaign. So right. we had um, James McGrath and Mark Texter up here doing the campaign, but they can only really operate where people have telephones and can be polled and that sort of stuff. So... Yeah. Uh, you know, they were interested in Darwin's northern suburbs, Alice Springs and Catherine and the, the rural area. Uh, the bush stuff, well, they never. And the interesting thing was in that 2012 election, we didn't win a single seat, extra seat in any urban area. Right. But we won all these seats in bush the bush. Seat. Right, right, right. And, um, yeah, part of that was because of, a, because of that campaign that, uh, that we ran in the bush. And, the well campaign that we ran and the candidates that we had and so that and so because one thing i do remember is after that election terry said he was going to go to the bush because that's where the election was won and he had to go and back terry and didn't think. even know where it had come from but anyway, <laughs> that was another thing so, you know, you know <laughs> well so that you know you got to understand the campaign everything is managed right and terry Took a lot of management. So those guys would have him in there every morning. They'd tell him what he had to say, all his lines and all that sort of stuff, and send him out. So Terry was pretty caught up being the leader, right? which is naturally what happens. You're told where to go, what to do, what to say, all of that sort of stuff. Right. You really get little input into anything. Right. Um, and, you know, it's almost like he's a puppet. Glove, you know, someone sort of pulling the strings, or you know, it's, uh, who was pulling Terry strings? James McGrath and and, um, and Mark Texter. But these are the pollsters, right? Okay. They were here in Darwin. Like we had a campaign office set up. We'd have a meeting every morning at uh, four thirty or five o'clock in the morning. Um, Jesus, that's early. Yeah, and we'd be getting we'd, everything. We before anybody was at work, we had the whole entire day ready to go. 
Right, right. <laughs> so, so those guys, like, I thought Mark Texter was like a guy that just did polling uh, independently, but no, he actually works with... No, no, po well, polling is one thing. Anybody can ask questions, right? Yeah. How you analyse that. Right, right. And, you know, to be able to sit there and analyse the information you're getting back takes right. quite a special type of character. Right. And then you, you sort of translate that into... Yeah into uh into actions and commitments and all of that all the time trying to remain within the framework of your own philosophy you know mm -hmm. um so yeah but yeah that that campaign really was uh, the bush seats and uh, and the people that we got for those seats you know larissa um francis um those guys were just remarkable candidates mm -hmm. You know, and we didn't find them. They were found by the Jarwin Association got Larissa for us. The Tiwi Land Council got, um, you know, so they were really grassroots people who'd been put up there by their own. Mm. And we'd never really replicated that since. I don't know that a lot of people would say it was a good experience having all those Indigenous people in the parliament. But, mm. you know, it's certainly been a learning experience. And I think, you know, somewhere along the line, they're going to have to get on to that and, so, so okay, so 2012, you won the uh, election. You must have had mixed feelings about that uh, with Terry as leader. And no, you, no, 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 I was pretty happy. But, yeah. Oh, look, there was always a lot of friction with, with Terry and I. Like, it, you know, by that stage, it, you know, it was getting hard to work with and all of that. And he really didn't want me anywhere near the whole show. And um, you might recall he gave me the health ministry. Right, yeah. Which yeah. was supposed to be the poison chalice. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, well, went to, you went in and tipped it upside down, did you? Or what did yeah, you yeah, of course I did. Um, yeah. You know, but, and I love that area of health. It was great. And But the thing is, with health, you cannot sit around. Like, health will kill you. It's yeah. called the poison chalice for a reason. Yeah, right? yeah. And people die every day. Yeah. It doesn't, you know... Health is like a, it's like an, it's like a bottomless pit of money, isn't it? Oh, it's a bottomless pit of money too, yeah. but it's constantly grieving, you know, they, because it's, you know, they've got a myriad of things that they can grieve about. People dying, patients yeah. aren't being seen and all of that sort of stuff. And if you sit around, it gobbles you up and spits you out and, you know, you, you're dead. Yeah. So my view with health was, without a doubt, I was going to have a fight. I was going to have a fight sitting around doing nothing, um, you know, it was going to be an argument. And I thought, well, if I'm going to have a fight, I'll have a fight on my turf. I'm not going to be fighting on the turf of the bloody, all these health people. Right. So I put in place or created the new services framework, which was a major overhaul of the total health system and got all over the territory, going to every single hospital, real clinic, um, Every, every person delivers a health service mm. in the Territory. I saw them all, explained this health service framework, and that's what people were talking about. Yeah. We weren't talking about the people who were dying in acts of emergency and this and that. You know, We were talking about what I wanted to talk about, which was how we're going to flip this whole thing on its head. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of resistance here, but eventually, you know, people sort of come on board, they can see what you're doing because you're going and you're talking to everybody right. and you're letting them know what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve and all of that. And all of a sudden people start coming along for the ride with you, you know. And um, when Terry sacked me... But hang on, hang on, I'll back up. Because I want the story about um, 
you guys in, in cabinet. When you, would you just throw a book at him no, or something? Look, you <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I don't really want to talk about what went on in specific yeah. instance cabinet. Yeah. But, you know, we had an argument about but basically the viability of the Palmerston Hospital. Right. right? And that, you know, I just... I couldn't see how it would work. Right. And, um, you know, Terry's view was we had to do it. And um, I said, look, you know, he said, what do we tell the people of Palmerston? And I said, tell them that the Labor have sold them a lie, mm-hmm. that this thing's not going to be viable. We can't, you know, there's no place in the country that's got 100,000 people and two hospitals. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, You're splitting our resources, all of that sort of stuff. We're starting to see the the start of it now, you know, yeah. and I don't think it's probably been budgeted for yet. So, you know, it'd be a year or two before we actually see the numbers yeah. in the budget sort of reflecting on actually what things are costing. Right. So that's what blew up in Kevin. That's what blew up. And, right. you know, like Terry and I always had policy disagreements, by the way. There was never anything personal. Yeah. Personally, we'd been good friends yeah, over the years, but, you know, when you're having constant arguments, it's hard to be. <laughs> Someone's good friend, right? Right. For too long, but so um, you got sacked. Yeah. So when he sacked me, all of a sudden, all of these doctors and nurses came out of the woodwork with right. letters to the paper and that sort of stuff, saying what a wonderful bloke Tolner was. You know, right. the best health minister we'd had, and you know, our dad Terry and all of this sort of stuff. And um, but you're supposed to do nothing in order to get those letters, I thought. Because normally when you do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, what I was trying to do yeah. was put the, the power and authority to make decisions into the people hand on the front line. Yeah. The doctors and the nurses are actually dealing with the patients that are there right in front of them, rather yeah. than having to go through these enormous silos of of authority in the in health house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that bureaucracy. So and getting around to every hospital and clinic and whatnot. Like I say, I'm meeting nurses and doctors and people who work in hospitals and, and orderlies and all of that sort of stuff. Not shiny bums who sit in health house. <laughs> <laughs> and the like, like I say, all of those doctors and nurses, when you sit there and you sit there and explain what you're trying to do, how this new system is going to impact and you want to put more responsibility into their hands, mm. that's when you start winning their support because mm. they know what problems are themselves you know every day they get a rule change oh you can't do this anymore yeah what mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i'm sitting out in some clinic out in the back of nowhere and someone in darwin sending me through constant memos about you know changes in policy changes in direction that you know it's just mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and so you got you got sacked so you were out on the outer again outer cabinet yeah and where was adam giles at this point well was adam he... was the transport minister so he was in cabinet yeah, you're right, right. Yeah. Um, and so how did the coup come about? That well, on? that I can't really explain. Um, I just got a phone call. I'd all but given up. I thought, well, this is all pointless now, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and um, I just got a phone call and uh, said, oh, look, come into uh, lunch. We're all having lunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, went in there and there was, I don't know, 13 of the, we had 18 members, I think, at the start. 13 of them were at lunch. I said, oh, Terry's got to go. You know, Adam, Adam's <laughs> going to be the chief and you're going to be the deputy. I said, any discussion on that? No, that's it. All right. Um, I said, Terry's in Japan now. Well, you know, let's just wait until he gets back. Everyone's, yep, absolutely. 
swear, swore to secrecy. Nobody knows about this until Terry gets back. Well, we haven't even left the lunch table. The newspaper was aware of it, you know. And, just, <laughs> you go, and then everybody's saying, oh, yes, you, you could have waited till we got home. And I thought, oh, God, that was the intention. <laughs> Who do you reckon leaked it? Oh, I have no idea. But, you know, it was a different sort of crew then. And people, like my experience in Canberra and my experience in the Territory couldn't have been more different. You know, in the in the federal parliament, it was a, a bunch of mature people who, you know, did their best to act like adults and work as a team, even though you'd have policy differences and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, people in the Territory had some naive view that politics is all very Machiavellian and you got to stab your mates in the back and you got to, you know, you got to leak on people and all that sort of stuff. And, I, you know, I just, I'd never experienced anything like that uh, federally. And then you get into the territory stuff and that was just common and everybody's doing it all the time. I mean, I just couldn't believe this, uh, yeah, anyhow. But mm. like I say, just leaking constantly and, right. and whatnot. And so you and Adam... Chief Minister, Deputy Chief Minister. Yeah. How was that? That was good. Yeah. yeah. No dramas. Well, I was always Adam's uh, fierce, fiercest supporter. You know, um, I saw it as my role to uh, to back him and uh, whatnot, and made a point of that. And, and how many years was that? That was what three years? Three, three and, and a half, half years. Yeah. yeah. But then, so I did questions. four budgets. Mm-hmm. That's right, you were treasurer. That's treasurer right. for four, yeah, four budgets. So the, well, what um, was that process like, working with treasury? Well, that was, um, it was funny. And I, I thought, you know, that the easiest ministry that I probably would get would be the business department. Mm. And the most difficult would be treasury or you know, I was sort of quite daunted by treasury at the start. Um, but I have to say, and uh, you know, we uh, and don't for a second believe I didn't have run-ins with uh, Treasury Adam Plenty. Mm. Um, but they sort of come into line, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they fell into line quite easily. And, well, so, uh, Dave, what do you mean by that? Because I mean, one of the things that I, you know, well, I'm a re- well, I was a reformer, right? right? I, you know, I wasn't going to go somewhere and not fix it. Yeah, right? and. You know, to sit around idly and do nothing is not the way I operate. And I reckon that any, it doesn't matter what portfolio that you go into, you can always, there's always things that need improvement. And Treasury, you know, in my view, wasn't particularly um, imaginative, Uh, (laughs) you know, and uh, I sort of wanted to change that. I wanted to. You know, things like creating that infrastructure fund, um, getting up all of those people out of the superannuation section. You know, a third of Treasury is devoted to superannuation management. You know, you sit there going, what the hell? Imagine if you devoted anyone in your business to managing super funds. Mm. You go, what the hell are we doing this for? Don't we have companies out there that do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, there were some changes, but the the most difficult one, oddly enough, turned out to be the business department. Mm. And you said that you know, like, 
you think, well, a business department are here to help business. No, that's not how they see themselves. They see themselves as regulators. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Kevin Stevens would be uh, very pleased to hear you say that. Oh, well, I love Kevin too because he, he'd shine a light on all of that sort of stuff, you know, and he'd, yeah, obvious to most people, but you'd sort of, you sit there and you think about the business department. I'd often say this should be our flagship department. Like, this is the one that goes out the front because the business department should be all good news. You know, this is the territory, this is our business people, you know, and, and they should be the advocate for business within government. You know, mm. let's cut red tape, let's cut this, you know, let's mm. let's give incentives to business people and, and incentives to, you know, to get things done. But they, they think exactly the opposite of that. You know, they say, oh, no, 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 we're here to regulate business and to... Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, like I say, I wanted to see a whole lot of good news coming out of the business department. I wanted to see them getting out of the way mm. and that sort of stuff. And to try and change them is like pulling teeth. So, so three and a half years with, with Adam, you yeah. reckon that they were great years, yeah. but yet Territorians didn't see it that way? Well, it was scandal-ridden. Huh? It was scandal-ridden. Scandal, yes, right. I mean, you know, every metric for measuring government, yeah. um, we did a great job. Mm. Um, you know, uh, we got the balance uh, budget back into balance, you know, two, two, two surplus budgets. Um, we got the economy was pumping. We had projects going left, right and centre, the lowest unemployment rate uh, in the country. You know, in 2015, the economy grew by 10.5%. That was the strongest growth of any developed region in the world. Uh, we outpaced China. Um, but that was mainly because of INPEX, right? Well, it wasn't mainly because of INPEX. I mean, INPEX was a project. It was a, it was about the confidence in the territory. Mm. And if you think back then, you know, developments that we had on the boil, there's four out in the rural area, um, uh, Bayview before it was shut down. Um, uh, Michael McCrillos, with his thing in, in the garden sea. There was a um, George Serbs 25 story development here. I mean, these things I'm just thinking off on the top of my head, but you know, a plethora of things. Government changed all that stocks, you know, and when they came into government, they said, look, there's three things we want to, we're going to do. One is we're going to restore the money that the CLP stripped out of the public service. Mm. Secondly, is we're going to review every development approval that the CLP made in the last 18 months, i.e. when I was the lands minister, because they had this view that I was corrupt, uh, <laughs> and that they were going to put a, a stop to fracking. Mm. Now, you know, that just killed confidence. And when you kill confidence and then a project closes down, all of a sudden you see what we've, we've got now, which is a collapse, a complete collapse of the economy. Um, you know, we've... Yeah, it's just, and people sit there and they say glib things like, oh, but that was because of Impex closing down. Well, no, it wasn't. It was because of all the things that had been stopped. You know, the, the plan was that we would get the onshore gas happening. The onshore gas would be developed at Glide Point, which is why the road was built out there, the Gunpoint Road. We were going to put a big industry park there doing petrochemicals, uh, fertilisers, all of that stuff, paints, plastics and, and uh, whatnot out there, and a second wharf. Part of the money that we got from TIO, we put into an infrastructure development fund 
which was to leverage that 200 million, uh, get another 800 million from overseas sovereign wealth funds to go into that. That billion dollars would then leverage probably five or six billion dollars of infrastructure. Uh, that infrastructure was supposed to be the industry park at Glide Point, <laughs> which is why we why we leased the port to the Chinese because we wanted to be on the Belt and Road trade route, uh, you know, the Silk Road trade route. So the whole thing was about, yes, this is a trading port here. Uh, we're going to start producing um, products and that sort of stuff from Glide Point uh, because we knew that the closure of Impex was coming and we had to have something of comparable size to employ all those people. It's why we put in place a trading scheme because we knew it just wasn't going to happen in time uh, before Impex closed down. So the idea was we do one or two years of having the trading scheme going in order to try and keep the tradies in the territory just long enough until this project at Glide Point starts off. Right, but the minute you say, oh, there's no fracking, well, that's you, you've just upended all of that. I, I sat there listening to the ABC the other day. People saying, oh, why did the government spend $50 million on Gunpoint Road? <laughs> Building Gunpoint Road. Oh, there's a fish farm or something out there, they're saying. I think, oh, hello. <laughs> it was in the last budget I put the $50 million in to do Gunpoint Road, and it was because Gunpoint, Gunpoint was going to be a port and an industry park, you know, and you sit there and say, oh, well, but like I say, getting back to your original question, it wasn't that we were bad government. Like we had policies and procedures that made, one made the government more efficient, but that was directed at the future about trying to maintain the economic growth that we had whilst Impex was in. Bearing in mind, that's a mega project. We always knew that there was going to be some sort of a bump mm. uh, at the end of it. Uh, but the, term was plagued by scandal. Mm. Um, none, not one single one of those scandals had anything to do with policy. Mm. Now, they were all about personal things. Mm. Some bloke getting caught in a strip club in Japan. Mm. Some bloke coming back from Asia with a, uh, a pregnant woman who's not his wife. Mm. Uh, you know, another bloke seen a video of himself having a toss. You know, all of these things like, you know, and absolutely nothing to do with government or the way governments run, all that sort of stuff. But they're just a succession of bang, 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 bang. You know, and our lot are sitting there keen as hell, like I say, to make sure it all ends up in the media. Mm. <laughs> and all of a sudden people were talking about anything and everything but what we were doing in government. And the story of government was a bloody good story to sell. And we've never sold it. CLP has never sold it. CLP, their own organisation sits there and talks down the former government. Mm. I said to them, you've got nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, the last government, we provided good, solid government. I said, all these scandals were personal issues and nothing to do with the party. That's just people being stupid. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean, the list as long as your arm. It's almost every second day there was a scandal coming up. Plus, we had a couple of mongrels in the media uh, who thought that that's the best thing you could do for the Territory is write up every sort of... And, I mean, they were embellishing stories that didn't need embellishing. Mm. I mean, that stupid fool, Christopher Walsh, I sued him. I don't know whether you're aware of that. He's the one that wrote the book, Crocs in the Cabinet. But he could not lie straight in bed, that fella. Um, you know, he just makes stuff up completely. Um, cost his employers a lot of money. 
<laughs> now he's with the ABC. You sort of sit there and go, God, does anybody care about any truth in reporting anymore? <laughs> so after all of this, uh, you got tossed out, and uh, what did you do? I had a good 18 months of having a front political inquiries, political donations inquiries. Well, John Mansfield, you might recall him doing a inquiry up here. Mm. Uh, it must have disappointed a whole lot of people to find out that I wasn't corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but this it was, is the Foundation 51 thing, is it? Oh, they, they had me there on Foundation 51, on um, what's his name on the gardens? I just mentioned his name before, Michael Krillos's development. Yeah. Yeah. The a Farm development. Uh, the changes I made to ra uh, racing and gaming and, and uh, the changes I made to liquor licensing laws. Five or six different areas of inquiry, you know, and <laughs> you know, it just went like goes nowhere. Yeah. And I went to John Mansfield at the start of it because it's quite daunting. I don't know if you've ever had a letter from some chief, some justice, uh, who says, Look, you know, you're a key, you, you, you better turn up to this because you're a key witness and everybody's expecting that you'll be found guilty. Mm. What? I mean, mm. you know, some outrageous claim they just wrote. Holy shit. So I'm a bit nervous about it all. Mm. I went to him the very first meeting. He said, oh, we want to have a chat to you. I said, all right. And went in and I said, listen, uh, I said, I'm more than happy to uh, talk to you about anything. Mm. I said, I've got nothing to, to hide. I said, but you got to understand there's a difference between a policy argument and corruption. Mm. I said, I, I'll sit here and explain everything that I did from a policy context. Mm. I said, but it's a big leap to, to make a suggestion that that is in any way corrupt. Mm. You know, there's a big difference. Mm. And uh, I said, by the way, I am keen to see you uh, succeed in this and to help you in your investigations. I got these things for you. And I handed him two letters. Mm. And uh, he sort of looked at me, he says, what's this? I said, well, the first letter is an authority to my banking and financial institutions. I said, for you to get all my personal information from any type of... I said, the second one is a letter to Telstra, uh, who uh, look after my emails, my telephone, and any communications I've had. You can go and download all of my stuff, text messages, a whole lot. Mm. I said, it's all there. That's Oh, he says, we don't need that. I said, well, I'd much rather you took it. I said, because if you're going to start throwing around allegations about me being corrupt, mm. I said, I'd like you to go and find the evidence. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Anyhow, that was 18 months, and you sort of see what he came out with. Oh, well, it was all about perceptions, he's saying. Mm. Like, I couldn't say, oh, well, it, you know, clean bill of health. Well, they did say that. Yeah. You know, no, we couldn't find any evidence of anything, but there was this perception. Right. You know, why was there a perception? Oh, because people in Parliament every day they'd say you're corrupt, you're in the pocket of big business. Mm. Yeah, you know, well, what is that a perception? That's just a slur. Mm. <laughs> mm. You know, Keysia accused me of being in the pocket of developers because I was approving developments in the rural area. Mm. You know, I mean, that doesn't make you corrupt for approving developments. Mm. Right? I mean, Michael McCrillos, they said, oh, you know, how did he could he possibly get that improved? I said, well. The block of land that he had was originally zoned high-rise. The entire street is zoned high-rise. And um, 
I said, then Channel 8 bought it. Channel 8 didn't want to build a high-rise, so I asked if the land could be rezoned. The only zoning that Channel 8 could operate on was community purpose. Mm. So they had the zoning change community purpose. Channel 8 sell the land to Michael McCrillos. He says, I want to, I want to change the zoning back to what it was. Oh, you can't build a high-rise here. This is community purpose. He goes, no, it was only community purpose for Channel 8. Mm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> John Mantle said, oh, yes, but he did make a lot of money from that decision of yours. And I said, but again, I looked at him. I said, I beg your pardon? He says, well, he did, didn't he? I said, how do you explain that? He said, well, you changed the zoning from community purpose to, he said, I'm sure that would make it more valuable. I said, well, go and have a look at it. I said, you tell me whether he's made any money out of it. I said, there's nothing there. I know he spent a shitload of money on freaking... Um, DCA meetings and, and uh, redrawing things and all that sort of stuff. I said, you tell me where he's cleaned up here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, all of that sort of stuff is just, that is quite, um, that, that just paralyzes you in so many ways. You can't go and work for anybody while you're fronting an inquiry on political donations. Mm. So, you know, that was probably the first 18 months or so. Or, yeah. And then since then, I've been, uh, I did a fair bit of stuff in China. Mm-hmm. What did um, you do there? Oh, a bit of consulting, hanging out with Andrew Robb, you know, the former trade yeah. minister. Yeah. yeah, so he and I are good mates and we got a few businesses over there that we were doing a bit of work for, a couple of the local governments and, yeah. and whatnot. Anything uh, to do with the territory? Uh, more about talking about North Australia and all of that sort of stuff. A lot of interest about what's going on in Australia and mm. in China. Um, but uh, I've tried to stay clear of the territory as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> Except recently. Hey? Except recently with the pre-selection. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's politically. But no, business-wise, and you know, mm. yeah. Yeah, of course, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you were interested, you were, you were keen to have another tilt uh, and... You went for the Mate, everybody I know is going to the wall. Well, not everybody, um, but, you know, most people I know is going to the wall. And it's it's heartbreaking to see, you know, mm. your best friends are talking about packing up stumps and leaving. People's out, you know, they talking to a fellow the other day, they talk about the record number of properties that have been sold up here, mm. 320 in a month. He says, do you know, he says, of the 320, he said, do you know 120 on my bank foreclosures? Right. He says, that's what's driving the property sales. Mm. You know, yeah, well, that's right. And, you you know, like you see people every day who are saying, oh, look, this place is going to, going to the pack. You've got to get back in there, fix things up. So I thought, well, I'll give it one more go, but mm. um, I don't think they'll be too interested. So, mm. so, so, you, so is it, has that been resolved yet? Or no, they've still... got their central council on... Um, Next weekend. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. But I don't, I don't envision that I'll get a, a gig. So what seat was that? Which Fong Lim. Fong Lim. My old seat, yeah. That's currently with Jeff Collins. Mm. Right. Was anybody else that was going for Fong Lim from the CLP? I'm not too sure. Right. I'm not too sure. Okay. I don't know who they've got. I, I haven't had any involvement in the CLP apart from sitting my hand up for pre selection. So I haven't yeah. been going to branch meetings or any of that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And i got to say, I do feel a little bit let down by the CLP. I think they've been appalling in the last couple of years. 
inwardly. Well, not defending our legacy from government. In actual fact, they've, you know, it's been, a, and I'm not just talking about Leah and Gary Higgins. I'm mm. talking about the whole party itself has, uh, has not made any effort at all to defend the legacy of, of the party in government. You know, they, in, in actual fact, they've joined the pylon when it comes to talking about all of those scandals. Mm. Like I say, that's not, like my, that's not the narrative that they should be talking about. They should be talking about that the last time CLP were in government, the economy was strong, crime was lower. Um, but how can you know, talk about crime? balancing ba ba budgets right. and all of that sort of stuff. In terms of crime, I mean, crime is definitely a hot-button issue. There's no question about it. Um, do you think um, ELF did us any favours with that Four Corners program? And way that well, was but again, did ELF do us any favours? I mean, did the ABC do anyone any favours mm -hmm. with that Four Corners mm -hmm. program? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the ABC should have been, in my view, dragged into an ACNA inquiry or some damn thing like that for, for, for the complete and utter misrepresentation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, of the situation that we had. I mean, Elf was a bit na naive and gullible, thinking that Four Corners were going to make a positive story about him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if you have a look at all the correspondence that they entered into with him, like they led him completely down the garden path. Oh, Mr. Elf, we want to come up and we want to talk about the sentence to a job and prison industries, and these things are really quite out there and, and they're the leading edge of of uh, justice in this country and you know we, we really think these issues should be covered you know like he he fell straight into that thought that they were going to turn up and write a nice story about him you know did, did i mean did he not have any media advisors that would have helped him out there well alfred was always you know a different sort of a character john but he's always sort of been romancing these Weirdo lefty types, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know when he got the one where he told Natasha Files, I uh, feel like coming over there and slapping you, figuratively speaking, he said right. to her, right? right? Well, they all went bananas and whatnot, and the, the White Ribbon Association or whatever they are removed his ambassadorship. He was an ambassador for the White Ribbon Day. Thing, which is all about anti-violence, you know, on women. Mm. And uh, yeah, I walked into his office and he was there literally crying. And I looked and I said, Alfred, what's wrong with you? Oh, he says, mate, I just can't believe that they've, they've stripped me of that ambassadorship. Mm. He says, that's just one of the things. He says, I was, I was really keen on that. He said, I, I really believe in that stuff deeply. He said, I just... He said, it really hurts. And I looked at him and I said, Alfred, are you off your trolley, mate? I said, those people hate you. I said, they dislike you with a passion, mate. I said, you're the absolute opposite politically to what anything they stand for. I said, the fact that you want to be a part of that organisation is complete nuts. I said, they're lining up to stick bloody daggers into you. I said, why would you even hang around them? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> No, did he take that? Well, I mean, you know, you have a look at almost all those people that are tied up in that, you know, uh, Rosie Batty and all that. They're political players, mm. and they don't do any favours for conservatives. Mm. Like, nowhere. Right? The conservatives, they're concerned, you know, are there to be the enemy, mm. the ones to beat up on. And, uh, you know, poor old Elf decides he's going to go and join them.
<laughs> Do you reckon? Is, sort of, <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it anything? It's like in going to the ABC. My natural inclination would have been <laughs> dream on, you know, go somewhere else. You're not interviewing me. Mm. I don't care what you say, but not else. You go, oh, I'll do something with the ABC, you know. <laughs> they came back to bite him on the bum in a really big way. Well, you know. <laughs> and, and, and the whole of the NT as well. I mean, it's cost us a lot of money. Oh, it's yeah. just unbelievable. And then the, the recommendation is that you let them all out. You go, what? You know, I mean, kids who end up in Dondale don't accidentally end up in there. You know, to, to, everybody knows that kids get a slap across the wrist for practically everything. And to go to Dondale, You've got to committed some serious, serious, heinous crimes to end up in me, you know. Like, and then for them to turn around and say, oh, poor little fellas have all been mistreated, let them all loose. Yeah, but what about all the people where they live? You know, they're, they're going to go home and terrorise. Mm -hmm. you know, every one of those guys is back in jail. Really? Every single one of them that's been let loose is back in well, jail. Even, even Dylan Wattbollock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in jail in WA. Assault or whatnot, yeah, he's been in trouble everywhere. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I take it from from everything that you said, Dave, that um, you, you're you'd be you'd regard yourself as being a fan of Donald Trump. You you, you agree with? The yeah, politics? well, no, well, I I do like him. I think he's um, uh, well, two levels. One is ex he's extraordinarily practical, and he he's a no bullshit type of bloke. Um, you know. He's, uh, he's done what he said. He, he's got unemployment down. He's, he's got manufacturing there, jobs. America is absolutely booming. Um, and, uh, you know, but the other thing I like about the guy is his complete non-stop waging war on political correctness. <laughs> well, there's not a, not a word that comes out of his mouth that's not an attack on the PC brigade. Right. I mean, he just does it to wind them up, and he's bloody good at it. Oh, I tell you, a lot of people are horrified at that. They go, "Oh God," you know. But it really—it's a not so subtle signal that he's not into any of that. Mm. And I reckon there's a lot of people around the world who are just fed up to the eye teeth being told how they're supposed to talk and act and all this sort of stuff. And uh, in that regard, I think Donald Trump is a bit of a champ. Mm. Mm. You know. And, and so you reckon he's he's done uh, more good for the country than, than bad? Or you... Well, he's incredibly polarising, mm. um, which, you know, a lot of people don't like. A lot of people don't like the, the nastiness of politics, full stop. Mm. Um, I'm pretty philosophical about that. I sort of think unless you're having a proper argument, mm. you're not making a lot of progress. And mm. one of the great things about Australia and the US, for that matter, our political systems, is that we argue till the cows come. Mm. And every item gets thrashed out left, right and centre and looked at at a dozen different angles. Mm. And more often than not, we get it right. Mm. You know, but, it, yeah, the idea of trying to sort of put a, put a, uh, a muzzle on people's speech, I think... Um, does our parliaments enormous harm. When you sit there and say, oh, there's taboo topics or things that you can't say, mm. um, you know, all right, you might, uh, you certainly might offend some people. Mm. Uh, but at the end of the day, 
you're actually making progress because you're, you're debating things out. When you can't debate things out, then there's a problem. Mm-hmm. One thing we forgot to talk to you about, mate, and I am very interested in this. Uh, do you have any children? Yeah, they're two boys. Yeah, how old are they? 22 and 23. Yeah, and what are they doing? One's a... Um, an accountant. He's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he did what you were supposed to do. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and he's taken it to it like a duck to water. He's completely mad on business. Right. Um, His granddad would have been proud. Oh, yeah. Well, he's he's a complete. Yeah, he's totally focused on on business, making money, and that sort of stuff. Mm. He's got his own share portfolio. He's he's important products from China and selling them online. He's got people in India working on phone apps for him, you know, at 23. What's his name? William. Uh, He lives in Darwin? He lives in Darwin. He's about to go and do an internship with KPMG in Melbourne. Right. Because he's he's more interested in the experience from these organisations than snaring a job because he wants to know exactly how businesses work and all of that sort of caper. Right. Uh, And he's... Younger brother couldn't be any more different. He's an electrician. What's his name? Henry. Right. Money um, runs through his fingers. Like this <laughs> tomorrow. <He's>, <laughs> doesn't seem to have care in the world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they're as thick as thieves and, you know, like I say, best friends. They really do things apart. So, uh, yeah. No, that's good. They're just a bit odd, like I say. In, in different ways. Right. Pete, you've uh, you've been very, very quiet, mate. Did you have anything to ask Dave? Mate, I think you've covered it very well. <laughs> yeah. so I haven't said much. I'm asleep down the end, <laughs> Put you to sleep, mate. Oh, it's funny. I, I make this comment from time to time. When, when Leon gets really into one of our podcasts, um, I get the front row seat, but I'm happy just to sit there and listen, and, and it has been both interesting and fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dave, I've got to tell you, I um, I learnt a lot about you today, uh, so I want to thank you for sharing your story. It's, a, it's, no a, it's been a really interesting yeah, uh, well. conversation, and you've really you've enlightened me on things that I – you've certainly changed my view about – some historical things that I had had a view on yep. uh, simply because I didn't hear it from you mm. directly. And it's always good for people to um, to share those perspectives whilst sharing their, their life story because mm. it, it certainly gives it a bit of a different angle. So I want to thank you very much for coming yeah. on. No worries, It's been a real, real pleasure. Good on you, mate. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Dave. It's been uh, very interesting and Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Good on you. All right, mate. Over and out. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.